Thank you so much. Good morning. As you're turning to your Bibles this morning, I'd like you to turn to Acts chapter 14. We're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture that helps us to prepare our, our, our thoughts and our minds for what's coming our way, a series in the book of Galatians. Because Acts 14 deals with the setting in which Paul was ministering in a region that was known as Galatia in the Roman Empire. And so today, as we did last week and will next Sunday, it's a little bit of a preparation, an opportunity to understand what was Paul experiencing, who were these people, what were the challenges they faced, what were the challenges that Paul faced in trying to minister in that setting. Now one of the challenges I'm going to face today is that I've been a little under the weather, and so During this time, if my voice begins to give, just hang in there with me, and hopefully we'll find our way through the passage together. And Because my main focus is to not be centered upon my words, but rather upon God's word. So Acts chapter 14 today, beginning with verse 1, we're going to take it down through verse 7. And here you and I will find now these words. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. And there they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and others with the apostles. And there was a plot among the Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the good news. So we're going to look at these verses and ask God to show us as we prep ourselves for a study in the book of Galatians in the coming weeks and months as to what God wants to say as to how all this relates to our lives today. And to do that, we're going to pause and we're going to look to our Lord in prayer. And our Father, I thank you so much for each one here. Thank you for the way you're working in areas of their lives that perhaps they're not even aware of at this point. There may be a tension in our relationship right now, and they're wondering, how did this come to be? And where are you? But you are there, you are involved, and perhaps there are things happening that had to happen in order for this relationship to be stronger as a result. You are God. There are those that are going to be battling in all these services, physical matters, issues. Some of these are very severe. and Our hearts go out to them. Our prayers go up to you for them. And we're asking, Father, that in this time together that they're going to be able to collect their thoughts and cultivate a biblical mindset regarding 
who you are and how you work and how they can live for you in light of what they experience. There are going to be those in these services, Father, that don't know Jesus as Savior. They're going to experience spiritual encounters with the Word of God. The question is how they'll respond. And you know. And I pray if it's a calloused heart that you're going to penetrate the hardness. If it's a cold heart that you're going to warm it with, your, with the glow of grace. And Father, I pray if it's a distant heart that you'll bridge and that you'll condense and that you'll reconcile and bring them together so that once while there was distance, now there's proximity to you. You know the needs. You know what keeps us awake at night. The struggles we face, the challenges, the highs and the lows. Love these people. It's a gritty bunch who want their sleeves to be rolled up to serve you. We want to do that now. So warm these hearts of ours. Engage these minds of ours. Challenge these wills of ours. Because again, now, Father, we've come here to see Jesus and Him only. And we're praying these things again now in Jesus' name. Amen. God's grace is obviously the unmerited favor of God, getting what we don't deserve. Yet so often we assume that grace means that as a result, we're going to experience tranquility and peace. But listen to what World Magazine describes out on the streets of Cairo and elsewhere. Shortly before devastating clashes exploded across Cairo and killed hundreds of people in mid-August, workers at the Bible Society of Egypt in Asayut noticed something strange. Someone had scrawled the word Islamic on most of the Christian-owned businesses in the town more than 200 miles south of Cairo. A few days later, Egyptian security forces in Cairo raided two sprawling camps filled with thousands of supporters of ousted President Mohammed Morsi and the Muslim Brotherhood. The ensuing violence has killed about a thousand people, including hundreds of demonstrators from the camps. Mosques have become makeshift morgues. Mortars search for their family among blood-soaked corpses. Within hours, an Islamist mob swept through downtown Asayut and set fire to the Christian-owned businesses that had been tagged a few days earlier. Conspiracy? When they reached the Bible Society's forefront, assailants broke a security door, smashed a window, burned the store to the ground. Now, Ramaz Adela, I know him, president of the Bible Society of Egypt, said the attacks appeared pre-planned since the crowds arrived shortly after the Cairo raids and burned the mocked buildings. Indeed, during the first three days after Egypt's deadliest clashes in decades, Islamists had attacked, looted, torched dozens of church buildings, Christian-owned businesses, and Christian schools across Egypt. And at the Bible Society store in Minya, 
Assailants stole cash from a safe, torched the building, and built a bonfire with Bibles. The message of grace. Now, when you and I look at what's unfolding in Egypt, and also tracking with me, and I hope you are doing an engine search on Christians in Syria, and finding themselves in the crossfires of both camps, the question now becomes, how do we understand, and how do we, with sleeves rolled up, communicate the message of grace in a world in such turmoil as the one that we find ourselves in. The message of grace, in fact, brings turmoil, as you and I are going to see in these verses this morning. Only seven of them, where Paul now is located in a city known as Iconium. And the Iconiumites love to be able to refer to themselves as those who were inhabitants of the oldest city known to humanity, older than Damascus and Samaria and Syria, so much so that they had a, a forefather by the name of Nanadis. And when they wanted to speak of their heritage and the ancient of times, they would speak of ever since the days of Nanadis which meant, in essence, from the beginning of time. So they're proud of their heritage. They're proud of their traditions. They're proud of the fact they live in an old city. But now here comes Paul with eternal truth to time-bound people, and grace breaks in. I want to draw your attention to these seven verses and to... Get our arms around five effects of grace. Five effects of the message of grace that result that have impact upon the culture because people are willing to communicate truth in such a way that it makes a difference to people's lives. Let's dig in. And notice, first of all, verse 1, where we read that Iconium... Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. And there they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. Believed. Here's your first effect. That the message of God's grace unifies distinct groups in the faith. As Paul is speaking here now, he goes to a synagogue, which is his basic philosophy of ministry to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. And as he does so, he finds himself in the city of Iconium, in a synagogue where Jews and Gentiles are present. That's God's grace. But you see, they have different backgrounds. They have different heritages, the Jews and the Gentiles. And yet God is going to do something to bring these disparate groups together as one people. Now, when you and I look very carefully at what God is doing here, you have to ask yourself, and I have to ask myself, questions such as, what does it take in the grace of God movement to bring about a sense of unity to groups that otherwise would be disparate from one another? 
Maybe you look at somebody who has said, now I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus, but that person has a different educational background than yours. I'm committed to Jesus, but that person has a different economic status than you have experienced in life. This person loves Jesus, but for, for God's sovereign purposes, that person has a different skin tone than yours. What fascinates me is that in the message of grace, God has a way of reaching over distinctive man-made, women-made boundaries and collecting a people of God and unifies people who otherwise would view themselves as distinct from one another. So you and I see here that as Paul spoke, he spoke so effectively dynamically, strategically, that not just a few, but a great number of people in this religious unbelieving setting respond, trust, put faith in the one you know as Jesus Christ, and God brings unity to what otherwise would have been a distinctive that would set them apart. God is interested in unity, not mere uniformity. Uniformity is based upon the externals of life. Unity is based upon the internals of life. Uniformity is based upon pressure from without. Unity is based upon the person from within. And God is a way of uniting what the world itself would consider to be political or economic or educational or whatever it is, distinctives and decisions and divisions. And what God does is that he brings the people together into one family of faith, the people of God. Came across this, happened in Cambridge, Minnesota. The star. It was a correction that had to be made in the newspaper. You see, Tom Padgel had been running for re-election the Isanti County Commissioner, Tom Pajo, has 100% support from his family. Not 10%, as was stated in last week's article. God has a way of producing unity. Now what you and I have to do then is to look at all the various peoples that I otherwise might be prone to say, well, that person's unique compared to me, or I'm unique compared to him or her. My background's different. My finances are different. My education is different. Whatever it is, when the differences begin to crop in, remember Jesus Christ died to settle those differences. The ultimate difference. God being holy. Highlander being sinful. Jesus Christ dying for our sins. The message of God's grace is such that it unifies distinct groups in the faith. Are you part of that unifying movement of grace? Now there's a second, a second effect. You and I are going to spot it now in verses 2 and 3. Because there you and I are informed, but the Jews here who refuse to believe stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So do they pack it up? Send themselves on a, in a different course? Nope. 
Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord who had confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. Here's the second effect of the message of grace. It emboldens us to present truth in the face of resistance. You will see that word speaking boldly, standing out in these verses. As now Paul and Barnabas are seeing the response of religious unbelief. And what interests us is that unbelief has a way of even unifying the opposition to Christ. It not only unifies believers in Christ, it also unifies opponents of Christ. Aren't you always fascinated that Herod and Pilate, who did not get along with one another, found a unifying cause in agreeing to take Jesus Christ to that cross? God has a way when it comes to grace of not only unifying his people, but also unifying his opponents. But then unifying his opponents so that he can achieve his purposes on behalf of his people. And so now here we find a situation at hand, verse 2. The Jews who refused to believe, religious unbelieving ones, stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Now do you pack it up? Close up the suitcase and say, well, let's head on. Not yet. Verse 3 tells us, so Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there. Now ask yourself, in the face of whatever form of resistance you have experienced spiritually, is it my natural tendency then to just pack it up? Or am I prone to say, I want to invest still more time in that person, in that relationship, in the face of that form of resistance? Because in my heart of hearts, I know she needs Jesus too. He needs to come to the cross like I did too. Are you willing to give that added element of time no matter how inconvenient the form of resistance might be to you right now, where it even reaches a point where it starts to wear on you. This is God at work here. And when God is at work, resistance is inevitable. Yet when God is at work, resistance also will tend to unify. And so what we see here is time well spent. What we see here is the Lord Jesus Christ being emphasized. What we see here is the message of grace being articulated. And what does God do in light of what Paul and Barnabas are doing here? Look very carefully then at the end of verse 3. He confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. And so now he's credentialing this message. He, in essence, is saying here, this comes with the stamp of approval from above. But not only to the religious unbelievers. 
In the very next chapter, in Acts chapter 15, at a strategic point in a gathering of believers, Paul and Barnabas are going to inform the leadership in the church of Jerusalem that upon the presentation of the message of grace, Gentiles came to saving faith. And God attested to this ministry by credentialing it with signs and wonders. And so now, what God was doing is that he was opening the eyes of the people to inform them that this was truly not of Paul. This was of God. You would think then the resistance would break down, but instead the resistance hardens, intensifies. As the religious unbelievers sense now that that what Paul is articulating goes against their spiritual grain, and they become hostile to what it is that Paul is sharing. David Howard was greatly has been greatly used by God through the years. He was strategic in the ministry of Urbana, and furthermore, and works within our varsity. And, and David How, Howard told a story that there was a pastor, and his name was Pastor Taba. He was known to be fearless. On one particular Sunday, he was he was expounding from God's word in his pulpit when there was this man who appeared at a side window in the church aimed a pistol at Pastor Tabaugh, ordered him to stop communicating the word. And the congregation, seeing the danger, they dove to the floor, hid under their pews. I love this. Pastor Tabaugh went right on communicating the gospel. Didn't flinch. Man fired four shots at him, David Howard writes. Two shots were past his head. One on one side, one on the other. Lodged in the wall behind him. Two shots went past his body, one under his arm, one under the other. Also lodged in the wall. And the would-be assassin then dropped his gun and fled. And Pastor Taba, still unmoved continued expounding the Word of God. Love it. But what fascinates me is the tremendous effect that his spiritual courage had upon that region when people realized that a man such as Pastor Taba was willing to risk his life to communicate grace. It gave the people of that congregation all the more opportunity to talk about the one who gave his life as a matter of God's grace. There was a tremendous outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon that region. Now, bring it home. What matters of risk has God called you to take on? What issues of resistance have you encountered? Not because of your opinions, separate that out, but rather because of God's Word. 
When God is at work, resistance is inevitable. You see resistance happening when Jesus Christ is dying for sins. You see resistance mounting as Paul is articulating the teachings of grace. And you see resistance mounting outside of Cairo and elsewhere. As the Bible is being expounded for the glory of God. But you see, the message of God's grace emboldens us to present truth in the face of resistance. Do you find a new sense of courage swelling up in your soul because of Jesus Christ's work on your behalf? There's a third effect. It's found in verse 4. The people of the city were divided. We're divided. Some sided with the Jews. Others with the apostles. What fascinates us here is this third effect. That the message of God's grace divides cities and regions. Divides people. It divides people and the ultimate illustration is the cross of Jesus Christ where God in his sovereign plan put Jesus between two other people. Not just next to one, but between two. One of whom would put faith and trust in Christ and the other would revile him as a tremendous picture of humanity divided by grace. Grace not only unites believers... Grace divides believers from unbelievers, while grace also unites unbeliever with unbeliever. It has this tremendous impact, but nobody is left as they were when they encountered Jesus. Neither you, nor I. We're having a conversation, and she's saying, Gary, it's just incredible. When we have a Extended family gathering, 30, 40 people over Labor Day. It just seems like there's oneness. When we get back together for a major clan of people around 4th of July, oneness. But put us together around Christmas and it all falls apart. Why? Well, I just simply say, do you realize that the first two examples are national holidays? But the last example you gave me, Christmas, that's, that's, rooted, that's rooted in Christ. And Jesus Christ has a way of, of exposing people's true belief systems. And the closer we get to Jesus, the more likely our true colors are shown in various gatherings. Do you feel the tensions rise? when you start to get people closer and closer to the cross of Jesus Christ. This is what happens here. And this is what Paul was addressing in the southern Galatian region and how he would have to respond to it subsequently with a letter to the Galatians, which we'll be examining together. But now look very carefully at the 
extent of the various encounters you have relationally. And ask yourself now, look very carefully at this third effect that appears on the screen. The message of God's grace divides cities and regions. And ask yourself, how does that bear upon my own personal circumstances? And then get your arms around Luke 12, verse 51, where the physician writes, recording Jesus' thoughts, Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but the vision... Astounding. Absolutely astounding. But it helps you to make sense of the various challenges that you and I experience in the extended relationships we find ourselves in. If we're willing to stand up, stand out, and at times stand alone for the cause of grace. But out of that then, out of that comes this fourth effect. Look very carefully now at what unfolds in verse 5. There was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders. Don't underestimate the unifying effect grace has upon unbeliever with unbeliever where now all of a sudden they're connected while they were previously disconnected. Think Herod and Pilate to mistreat them and stone them. What do you make of this? It leads us to this fourth effect that appears on the screen, that the message of God's grace stirs intense opposition, sometimes leading to persecution. That the message of God's grace stirs intense opposition such as we're seeing right now in the streets of Cairo and on the outskirts and onward. And if you've done an engine search of what's happening in Syria, look very carefully at the various groups and their reactions to and response to the believers within the land of Syria as you ponder what America's response ought to be and evaluate the critical issues of the hour that are found there. And bear in mind then that this is exactly what God promised his people who were willing to stand up, stand alone, stand out off the cause of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, Theodora Beza. He made this incredible statement to King Henry of Navarre. Sir, It's truly the lot of the church of God for which I speak, to endure blows and not to strike them. But may it please you to remember that it is an anvil which has worn out many hammers. And that's the believer. That in the face of resistance and intensifying opposition, you're like an anvil and you keep wearing out those hammers that attack your soul because you've been strengthened by grace for God's glory. Or check out John Wesley riding along a road one day it dawned on him in his autobiography. He writes that three whole days had passed 
There had been no persecution. He started to wonder what was wrong. No bricks thrown. No eggs hurled his way. So he was alarmed, he says, stopped his horse and exclaimed in a way that only meant as a means of praying to his Lord, can it be I've sinned against you? Imagine that. Began to pray from his knees, God, if there's anything that has separated me from you, show me now. And then, just then, he wrote later, out of the blue, a brick was hurled his way. Flew right over him. Missed its mock. Fell harmlessly. Wesley then said he leaped to his feet joyfully, exclaiming, Thank you, Lord, it's all right. I still have your presence, quote unquote. You see where all this leads us? And how relevant this is to what's happening globally and what's happening right now in the world? Middle East, America. So now look very carefully at the relationships that God has placed you in and ask how His grace produced effects in your, in your circles of acquaintances that to varying degrees have begun to reveal these kinds of dynamics in your, in your, in your walk with Jesus Christ and their response to you. Because out of that then comes this fifth effect You see it now in verse 6 and 7. You look very carefully, and they found out about it, fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe, and to the surrounding country, where they did what? Pack it in? Go on a 40-day retreat of silence? Where they continued to preach the good news. Because fifthly, what we see in these seven verses of now verse 6 and 7 is that the message of God's grace creates new opportunities for the furthering of the gospel. New opportunities for the furthering of the gospel. Where now Paul is experiencing in miniature is what the early church was experiencing in a, a larger example. Whereas Saul of Tarsus, later the Apostle Paul, was part of the movement of persecution in Jerusalem, they scattered. Samaria, Judea, Samaria, and onwards to the uttermost parts. The law of thermodynamics kicks in here. The greater the heat, the greater the expansion. And now they're moving outward, you see. And now what Paul and Barnabas have done is that they've presented to such a degree now that they truly know this has been heard. It has not fallen on deaf ears. It has been both received and rejected. The dual effect. Now the Holy Spirit sweeps them away in the whole experience of persecution. What God is now doing is creating instead a new opportunity for the furtherance of kingdom impact And all you see, all for the glory of God. Now ask yourself this. What new opportunities is God giving me in the light of the tremendous pressures and and resistance that I've experienced in the recent years of my life? Don't blind yourself to those opportunities. They're there. Don't shrink back. Step forward. 
And as you do so, you can be like that one who is described in his epitaph, John Getty, the New Hebrides in the South Pacific. His grave, a marble slab bearing these words. When he came, there were no Christians. When he died, there were no heathen. The effects of grace for the glory of God. Let's stand together. Well, Father, this pastor's voice is less than it should be. Your word is what it should be and what we desperately need. Never let us assume that being people of grace means a life of ease and comfort and tranquility. That the message of grace has effects. We can have that internal peace that will lead to that eternal peace. But at the same time, there is a, there is a, a broiling world in turmoil conflict. And we read and we hear of such scenes as a Bible store, um, a Christian bookstore, Bible is being used as a bonfire. But Father, that will not stop the word from spreading. And so I praise you and I thank you for who you are. And I thank you now for each one in each of these services. I pray that we will take seriously grace. All the dynamics associated with grace. Embrace it. Share it. Live for it. And may the result be, Father, that we see countless people coming to saving faith in Christ because of it. And for this, we'll give you all the praise. In Jesus' name.